Well, it's great to gather and worship worship our Lord as we wrap up this book of Second Timothy. I very much appreciate your prayers for me this week. I was down ill a couple days and the Lord restored me and had study time and the Lord's just so gracious. So gracious and we continue in our study of scripture where there are many men who have spent time in prison. Think of all the men in scripture who spent time in prison. You have Joseph and Samson and Jeremiah and Daniel and John the Baptist, the Apostle Peter, Apostle John, Jesus. And today we conclude our study of the book of Second Timothy that was written by the Apostle Paul from the Mamertine prison in Rome, Italy. And as I study this passage, and, and as we wrap this up here, in this end of this book, I was reminded of the characters in the book of Pilgrim's Progress. People with names of Christian and evangelist and help, the interpreter, hopeful, watchful, sincere. And then there's the others, those with envy and mistrust, and Demas, who's also in our passage today, Mr. Temporary, Giant Despair, and others. As we wrap up this book and look towards Paul, heading towards his martyrdom, in Pilgrim's Progress, Giant Despair owned Doubting Castle, which was the place where the pilgrims were imprisoned and tortured. And today we see that Paul is nowhere near the giant despair. And in the second book of John Bunyan, giant despair was slain by great heart. And that's what we see today. That Paul's great heart for the gospel and love for the people kept him from despair. So with that, let's start with the word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word you've granted to us. As we look at the life of Paul and his instruction to us and the people that minister to him, encourage us to uh, be diligent in our service for you, that we would love the gospel, love those around us, and just come send your Holy Spirit to minister to us today. In Christ's name, amen. So we're going to open now in verse 9 of 2 Timothy chapter 4. And we're going to look at verses 9 through 13. And I'm going to call this an attribute of a fellow minister. Let's pick up here in verse 9. Do thy diligence to come shortly to me. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this pleasant, present world, and is departed into Thessalonica. Christians to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark. And bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Antichicus have I sent to Ephesus. The cloak that I left in Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee in the books, but especially the parchments. And there's many people listed here by name in this passage. And each one had a significance in the life of Paul. So we're going to look at their interaction and their service to the Lord with each other. And Paul is writing this book for Timothy. And in verse 9, he starts with a specific request. Be diligent to come to me. As the ESV says, do your best to come to me soon. Now look at verse 21. 
Be diligent to come before winter. Or the ESV, do your best to come before winter. Be diligent, Timothy. Don't be distracted from the task that is before you. And we're told that Paul labored more abundantly than everybody else, yet it wasn't him, but the grace of God that was working in him, 1 Corinthians 15.10 tells us. And when a diligent man like the Apostle Paul is in jail, heading for his martyrdom, and then he requests for you to diligently come see him, I think Timothy probably started making travel plans for the 570 miles waiting for him when he received this letter. And twice in today's passage, the word diligently is used as instruction to Timothy. And there's three reasons given to Timothy to be diligent. The first is that of time. Time requires us to be diligent. Look at verse 6. The time of my departure is at hand. Time is that limited quantity for each of us. And we measure our lives by time. And if we waste our time, we waste our life. And if we're to do anything for God and be a blessing to others, diligence is a key ingredient. We're to be diligent people in our service for the Lord. Timothy, be diligent to come before winter. And the one thing, it is one thing to want to serve our Lord and give our lives to him, but it's an entirely different thing to do so with diligence. And may we count our time as our most precious resource. And diligence begins with a faithful pursuit of the Lord, as Hebrews 11.6. But without faith it's impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And a life of diligence begins with diligently seeking our Lord. We believe that God exists, and because of that, our most worthwhile endeavor is the diligently seeking our Lord through knowing him through his word. And if we will receive God's word and treasure up his commandments within us, if we will make our ears attentive to wisdom and incline our hearts to understanding, yes, if we will cry out for insight and raise our voice for understanding, if we will seek it like silver and search for it like hidden treasures, then will we understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, watching over the way of the saints. Then will we understand righteousness and justice and equity, yea, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart. Knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, Proverbs 2 tells us. Not only does our limited time require us to be diligent, secondly, the temptations require us to be diligent. Look at verse 10. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this pleasant world, and is departed into Thessalonica. There are temptations all around us, and our, only, our enemy only needs to distract us from the prize to make us unprofitable. Ephesians 6.10 My brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not 
against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Paul didn't see his time in jail as a battle against the Roman rulers that had imprisoned him, but a battle for, of the gospel for the souls of men. And Demas had left that battle. Demas is also mentioned earlier in a positive sense in Colossians 4, 2, 4, excuse me, Colossians 4, 14 as a co-worker along with Luke. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. But now Demas has forsaken Paul, which caused disappointment in Paul's life, that his friend would leave him. Demas has forsaken me. And Paul was not immune to disappointment. And while he was sitting in jail, it hurt to lose his friend. And Paul was vulnerable to the loss of a colleague. He's also vulnerable to the cold. Bring my cloak. He's vulnerable to the loneliness. Please come, my friend. He's vulnerable to the boredom. Bring my parchments. He's vulnerable to weakness and fear. But the Lord stood by him and strengthened him. And Paul's time of departure is at hand, but Demas was not of the same mind. Demas was not willing to remain and potentially be a martyr with Paul. Demas is described as in love with this present world, which is expressed when he departed for Thessalonica. Maybe he thought Rome was too dangerous for him. I'm out. I don't trust God that much. And this is here as a warning for us that we should be careful so that our Lord doesn't become temporary to us. Every sin that we struggle with is an inside job, and God perseveres with us. God preserves us as we persevere with him. And we don't know if Demas left in a temporary lapse or if he left in a total collapse. At one time, he was a faithful servant of the Lord, and now he fades from the biblical record with no clarity on what happens next. Two chapters earlier, Paul wrote that in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and earth, some to honor and some to dishonor. And we are challenged to purge ourselves from these so that we shall be a vessel of honor, sanctified and prepared for the master's use and prepared for every good work. And there is quite a contrast presented to us here as Paul is prepared for his master's use and Demas departs in dishonor. And the Lord knows those that are his and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. And Demas didn't depart from iniquity <clears throat> but departed from the Lord's work. And this is the last time we hear about Demas who is walking in the wrong direction. And Ephesians gives us another command about diligence, which is the opposite of the self-focused life of Demas. We're to be diligent to keep the pride, to keep unity by rejecting pride, Ephesians 4, 2 and 3 tell us. This is real interesting on the word diligence here. Read Ephesians 4 2. With all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. 
The ESV in verse 3 says, eager to maintain the unity. Where is the diligence in verse 3? The same Greek word used in 2 Timothy for diligent is there in endeavoring and eager to keep the unity. Our limited time requires us to be diligent. Our temptations require us to be diligent. And thirdly, the task before us requires us to be diligent. Look at verse 13. The cloak that I left in Troas with Carpus, when you come, bring with you, and the books, but especially the parchments. Timothy, minister to the Apostle Paul, bring the parchments. Due to the size of ministry that God had called Paul to accomplish, diligence was required. And this cloak, it may be the most preached about cloak in all of history. Since Paul was requesting Timothy to arrive before winter, and that may explain the urgency of that cloak. There's a really interesting story in history of a similar situation that happened in the life of William Tyndale. William Tyndale uh, is most well known uh, for his book that he did, that of the Tyndale Bible. But of the letters he wrote, there's only one surviving letter in Latin when he was a prisoner in a castle in Belgium just north of Brussels. And I, I want to read his letter. It's pretty short. And it reads just like this book of Second Timothy, and it, it really adds a personal touch to it. <clears throat> he says, I entreat your lordship that by the Lord Jesus, that if I remain here during winter, that you request the procurer to be kind enough to send me for my goods, which he has in his possession, a warmer cap, for I suffer extremely from cold in my head. Being afflicted with a sore throat, which is a considerable increase in the cell. A warmer coat also, for that which I have is very thin. Also a piece of cloth to patch my leggings. My overcoat is worn out, for I suffer extremely from cold. Uh, my shirts are worn out. He has a woolen shirt of mine, if he would be kind enough to send it. I have also with him leggings of thicker cloth for putting on above, for he has also warmer caps for wearing at night. I wish also his permission to have a candle in the evening, for it is wearisome to sit alone in the dark. Can you imagine just sitting alone in the dark in a prison all night? But above all, I entreat you and beseech your clemency to be urgent that he would send, permit me to have my Hebrew Bible, Hebrew grammar, and Hebrew dictionary, that I may spend time with that in study. What a request. Sitting in jail, can I have my cap and a coat, my shirt, uh, my pants that aren't worn out? William Tyndale in prison asked for warmer clothing and for his books, just as Paul did in 2 Timothy. He died February, March 6th, 1536, for translating the Word of God into English for his countrymen, which is still to our benefit today. I don't know what irritated us this past week. But locked up in jail and cold, no coat, the boredom, that hasn't been on my list this last week. Be diligent in the tasks that the Lord places before us. Be diligent in our actions because everything that we do is to be for the glory of God, not for our glory 
and not to receive the praise of other people. As Colossians 3.23 tells us, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance of your reward, for you are serving the Lord Christ. I'll pause and tell a story about my dad, the most diligent man that I know. And he's always had an eye for the needs of others. And has been ready to jump in and help anywhere he can. And if he could also teach his two sons about diligence, all the better. So one time, when I was about high school age, there was a Christian organization with limited finances that needed the asphalt in their parking lot patched. And he was ready to jump in to that job. And he ordered in a large dump truck with many tons of asphalt. He rented an asphalt roller, brought it in there, and my brother and I showed up with our shovels and garden rakes. And he had this big dump truck of asphalt, and we worked on that thing. And it was really important to be diligent because once the asphalt cools down, it's of no value. You can't do anything with it. And we were there working at it, and my dad's pants ripped, ripped open down the backside. And, but there was no time to stop for such trivial things. We had this hot asphalt to get in there. And when we finished, oh, we were tired. We found the, we just went, found the nearest floor, my brother and I, and we just laid down and fell asleep. We were so tired. But um, that may have been the hardest job I think I've ever done. But my dad has never asked us to do anything. He never asked me or my brother to do anything that he wasn't willing to do himself. And that is the characteristic of leadership. Being willing to carry the load. And there's a task given to us in Deuteronomy that requires diligence in our family relationships and responsibilities. Picking up in Deuteronomy 6 verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. And talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way. And when you lie down. And when you rise. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontless between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house. And on your gates. We as parents. Need to be diligent. Before the time disappears. With our, the wonderful children. With which the Lord has blessed us. Be diligent. Instruct your children. Last Wednesday was just so beautiful seeing the verses and the effort that your parents have put into your children. Be diligent. And then children. Proverb instructs children. Please listen and pay attention to your parents and learn while you have time. Diligence, the request for Timothy and God's command to us. Picking up in the second part of verse 10, Paul continues instructing Timothy. Cretans has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, Tychicus to Ephesus, Demas to Thessalonica, Luke alone is with me. And it seems like today that the value of friendship is losing its depth. Part of that may be because of social media since being a friend has become a costless transaction where friendship is made with hyperlinks, where is the self-sacrifice for the lives of others? Look at Christ, who when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. 
He sacrificed himself to his heavenly Father's will. When Jesus was looking at his upcoming death, it was loyalty and love that said, Not my will, but yours be done. Long after we forget what was said, the loyal actions and self-sacrifice of a friend are long remembered. We don't know anything of what Luke said to Paul, but what we have recorded here is long remembered. Only Luke is with me. Luke, a loyal and faithful friend to Paul. Then he says, get Mark and bring him. And you remember in Acts 12, there's a story for us about the apostle Peter when he was in prison. And the angel of the Lord freed him up while the church was having a prayer meeting. In Acts 12.12, we are told that Peter went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, John Mark, where many were gathered and they were praying. And John Mark was an integral part of that early church with his family making their house available for use by the church. There in that prayer meeting, it's also thought probable that that is the upper room where the Lord served communion and also probable where the pouring out of the Holy Ghost at Pentecost came. And the church was there praying for Peter who was in jail in this room. And it's a tremendous place for John Mark to come from. Get Mark and bring him. And as we look at Mark, it was a great privilege for him to grow up in a home where Christ was central and the scriptures and prayer was part of the life. Then in Acts uh, 13 verse 5, Paul and Barnabas had John Mark assist him on a missionary journey. Picking up in Acts 13.3 where John Mark struggled. Now Paul and um, his company, when they loosed from Paphos, they came to Pamphylia and John Mark departed from them returning to Jerusalem. And you remember that abandonment and that Paul didn't want to take him on the next trip there in Acts 15. And God used this disagreement between Paul and his buddy Barnabas to divide the work by Paul taking Silas and Barnabas took Mark. And in Acts 15, uh, picking up in verse 36, after, and some days after Paul said to Barnabas, let us go and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with him John, whose surname was Mark, but Paul thought not good to take with him who had departed from them to Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. So Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and departed. So the two central people, Paul and Barnabas, were arguing with each other. But the delightful conclusion is that when Paul was suffering and the conditions of that Mamertine prison in Rome, he wanted Mark to come assist him. And the reason is so very encouraging. Bring Mark, for he is profitable. He's profitable to me. And what's he profitable for? The ministry. Before, he was useless. But now he's useful. And he's useful for the ministry. And it's a beautiful thing to see them ministering. And we should take great encouragement 
from the story of Mark that he had failed. He was declared useless for ministry by the Apostle Paul himself. And now that same man calls him useful for the ministry. I don't know if it hurt Paul's pride to write this about Mark. But, but think about this group of men. Paul with Luke being joined by Mark and Timothy. Luke, the beloved physician, who a few years after this point would write the Gospel of Luke, being joined by Mark, who would write the Gospel of Mark a few years after this time. There with Paul, who had written much of the New Testament, and bring Mark for the ministry. What an encouragement. Now look at Tychicus. Tychicus was sent to carry this epistle that Paul had just written to Timothy at Ephesus. Timothy, I'm sending Tychicus to minister in the church there at Ephesus so you can come to me. Tychicus is listed a few times in scripture. Colossians 4.7 gives us his biography. He is a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending my beloved brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, a suitable replacement for your absence in the church in Ephesus. So we move now from the attributes of a fellow minister to the attributes of an enemy in verses 14 and 15. Pick up here in verse 14. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Of whom be thou ware also, for he has greatly withstood our words. Paul was opposed by Alexander the coppersmith, and we are told that he did him much evil and great harm to Paul. Who is Alexander, and what did he do? Well, we don't know. The thought from the structure of these verses leads us to believe that it was potentially Alexander the coppersmith as the man who betrayed Paul and accused Paul to the authorities as an informer. What we do know is that he harmed Paul, and we also know Paul's response. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. And Paul has been very conscientious in Scripture to leave his enemies in the Lord's hands, as he does in Romans chapter 2. Let's up. Uh, read a couple verses here in Romans 2, uh, 5 and 6. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. The judge of all the earth will execute judgment, and there's a day coming when each of us will give account of ourselves. And that's a wonderful thing to do with their enemies. Not to seek revenge, but to give them up to the Lord. As Romans uh, twelve nineteen continues, Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy hunger, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome... Be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And the concern here for Timothy is to beware of the opposition to the gospel 
by Alexander. Then we move on to an attribute of our Lord in verses 16 through 18. Let's pick up in verse 16. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work, and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory and glory forever. And Paul is experiencing what thousands before and after him have experienced. When the Lord calls us to go through trials and that fire of persecution, there is no better friend than the Lord. It's pretty interesting when Job went through his struggles in Job 19. I'll read a couple verses and begin in verse 13. What Job said of his friends. Let's pick up in verse 14. My relatives have failed me. My close friends have forgotten me. The guests in my house and my maidservants count me as a stranger. I have become a foreigner in their eyes. I call to my servant. He gives me no answer. I must plead with him with my mouth for mercy. My breath is strange to my wife. I am a stench to the children of my own mother. Even young children despise me. When I rise, they talk against me. All my intimate friends abhor me, and those whom I love have turned against me. And in spite of Job's friends, we know the wonderful things the Lord did for Job. And when Paul's friends forsook him, what did our Lord do for him? The Lord is a friend that never fails. The Lord stood by Paul. The Lord strengthened Paul. The Lord delivered Paul. The Lord preserved Paul to his heavenly kingdom. And to the Lord is due all glory forever and ever. Contrast what the Lord did for Paul to what Paul's friends did for him. They all deserted him. And we should understand that no matter how much we try, we will at some point fail our friends. Even though it's unintentional because none of us are perfect. How did Paul respond to the failures of his friends? with love and forgiveness. May this desertion not be charged against them. And some of us have been left in difficult situations and had opportunities for failures of our friends to become resentful and become bitter in our lives. And it may be when we were expecting someone to support us in a particular situation and they didn't come through as we expected. Now we look at a man chained in a dungeon waiting for his execution with all his friends failing him and he says to the judge of the universe don't charge them. I wonder if in Paul's mind he went back to Acts chapter 7 when he was supervising the martyrdom of Stephen and then Paul heard the last words that he said Lord do not hold this charge against them it is only by God's grace that we can forgive. And we should be reminded in Hebrews 12:15 that we are to look diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any 
root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. See to it that bitterness does not grow in our lives we are, when we are not treated the way that we expect to be treated. And then Paul's words in Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be ye kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And this is such a high standard of forgiveness. And it is impossible without the grace of God. I have been forgiven so much by our Lord's sacrifice. And his love has given me his righteousness that is entirely undeserved. Why should I do any less for other people? As our Lord said in Matthew 6.14, If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And God has entrusted to us this valuable message of reconciliation, which we demonstrate with forgiveness in 2 Corinthians 5.18. And this is the God, and this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ Jesus was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. It is hard to declare that message of reconciliation to a world that has fallen apart if we, who are God's children, don't forgive each other. God's message, Paul's message here, is very compelling. I was opposed, but the Lord took care of it, will take care of it. I was deserted. May the Lord not hold it against them. And then Paul asks Timothy to join him by this dungeon. And Timothy is not coming to see a grumpy old man. But someone who is under the threat of martyrdom. That is praying for the forgiveness of those who deserted him. He is entrusting the justice of God to the opposition. He's longing for the companionship of a friend. And he's experienced the strength of God who is standing by him. Now notice what else Paul did. He depended upon the Lord that, so that through him the message of the gospel might be fully proclaimed so that all the Gentiles might hear it. Paul was prepared to do what God had called him to do by the strength of God. And then he says, I was delivered out of the lion's mouth. Paul has a wonderful assurance that the Lord will stand by him and ultimately deliver him from the desires of evil men and then bring him to God's heavenly kingdom. People may betray us, but the Lord will never leave or forsake us. What harm, what can harm us when everything that happens to us passes through the hand of our loving Heavenly Father. The Lord stood by Paul. The Lord strengthened Paul. The Lord delivered Paul. The Lord preserved Paul to his heavenly kingdom. And to the Lord 
is due all glory forever and ever. And that seems like that should be the end of the book when he ends with that, to the Lord be glory forever and ever. But we come now to a postscript, verses 19 through 22. So let's read these. Salute Prisca and Aquila, the household of Anesiphorus, Erastus, abode at Corinth. But Trophimus have I left at Miletum sick. Do thy diligence to come before winter. Eubulus greeteth thee, and Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ be with thy spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. Now, as is typical for Paul, he writes a few concluding words at the end of the book. And he starts with Priscilla and Aquila, which he also wrote about in Romans 16, verse 3, as his helpers in the Lord. But there's something very significant in these, about these people in these final verses. They were personal friends of Paul. And they achieved something that we can never achieve. They did something we will never ever be able to achieve. Their names are listed in the Holy Scriptures. And the Scriptures are not much for long goodbyes. Except for maybe that time when Paul preached all night and Eutychus fell out of the third story window. But when Paul comes to this last epistle, he writes his long conclusion. The Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. And with Paul's closing statement, we conclude the book of 2 Timothy. So with that, let's close in prayer. The Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen.